Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of Slam Fire Radio for March 4th, 2016. I am one of your hosts, Trevor the Frilatte. I'm another one of your hosts, Matthew the Warning Shot. And I'm Adriel, the Hunting Gear Guy Show. And Kelly is on assignment this week in Michigan. Yeah, she couldn't join us. She's, uh, you know, she's busy. we, we got to let her go every now and then, but... Uh, it's entitled maybe, Week Off. Yeah, I mean... She's got to have a week off every now and then. I mean, hanging out with us all this time, that's crazy. It is, it is. No, yeah. but she's, uh, she'll be reporting back from the um, international apple seed shoot that was held this weekend. I'm I, jealous. I don't know why you guys didn't send me instead. I know the corporate jet's down for a bit of maintenance, but, like, come on. Um, hello, I'm the I'm the heel that bailed on them. Stacy got it organized for this weekend, so I could be there, and then I didn't go. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Uh, while they're while they're freezing their butts off in Michigan shooting an apple seed, I'll be sitting in a classroom at St. Thomas University for two days taking a core facilitators group or core facilitator training. So that'll be exciting. That yeah, that's well, it'll be something. I don't know if exciting is the right word, but it'll be something. I'll, I'll be on Facebook cruising all the pictures on the international apple seed web or uh, Facebook page, going, I stayed home for this. Well, <laughs> a room being taught how to teach. That'll be swell. Because mm. you don't know how to teach. Nope. Not no. a clue. Not like you've done uh, it before. Speaking of not knowing how to teach, Matthew, what did you do this week? <laughs> yeah, the good segue. And, uh, segue. Uh, it, it, well, you're right. It's a segue. What did I do this week in guns? I... Let's see here. Uh, carry the one. See, when you leave the show Nothing. notes blank, when you leave the show notes blank and I skip over you, I get in trouble. Right. You leave the show notes blank and I pick you and you waste our time. You have to know when I leave them blank means I didn't do anything, and the times when I leave it blank, it means I, I'm just holding it in reserve. You, you just you, you don't know how to read me yet. Nope. I got to you earlier though with that thing with Andy. You certainly did. That was awesome. That I'm and- sorry. No, no. <laughs> no, it's going to be an outtake. Don't ruin yeah. it for everyone. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Adriel. No, I'm next. Or who's Adriel? You're the lead host. It can be whoever you want it to be. <laughs> Adriel, please. <laughs> Put Save Trevor us. out of his misery. Save us for yes. <laughs> Put try. me down. I'll try. I'll try. Um, okay. Okay. So with the uh, Stoger, I modified the loading port on it. So the loading port uh, is right at the bottom there. That's where you put the shells in. And uh, it's kind of, I don't know, skinny. And uh, I was hitting my the knuckle of my thumb on the edge of it. And, and uh, it wasn't, I don't know, I wanted I wanted to kit it out a little bit more for three guns. So I, uh, I looked up some videos online and uh, got a file, like a really nice hand file, and started using the file. And then uh, threw the file away and pulled out a Dremel because it wasn't going nearly fast enough for me. Uh, craftsmanship. Yeah, basically, basically, if you're running a Dremel on a gun, you're doing it right. That's that's what Baba says. <laughs> well, Adriel, yeah. you're you're braver than I am because I sent my Versamax away. I wasn't touching it. I sent it out to Casey at Tactical Ordnance, and he did to my gun what you did to your gun. 
and your gun looks as good as my gun. And oh, your, no, I don't think so. Yours is probably nicer than mine. Oh, I don't know. The, the finished product looks pretty good, but if that's your first one, you did a fine job. So I, I can't take all the credit because my buddy uh, helped me, and he's the – uh, he's the details guy. I'm, I, I, I get in there with the Dremel and do a whole pile of, of, of damage to it. And then he takes like, you know, the 500 grit and then the thousand grit afterwards and, and smooth things up. So oh, he gave me a, a bunch of help with so that. So it wasn't yeah, just I'm, a Dremel then? Uh, no, no. Okay. It was well, that's good. That means you're, you're, damage. yeah. Well, I mean, if you have to take a lot of material away and you know where to cut and where not to, I mean, a Dremel is a fine tool. It does, you know, does many good things. You just, be careful with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, 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 you know, even though the receiver is aluminum, it's still, you need to really work down a bunch. And on the, the one side, I would have went even deeper, but the serial number is right there. And I'm pretty sure removing the serial number would be frowned upon. I'm not sure. Can you re-stamp a firearm with, with the serial yes. number? You I've can. actually seen an old Enfield mm-hmm. that was completely refinished and the serial number was replaced with a sticker. I kid you not. Ooh. I have one of those. There you go. Uh, actually, no, that's not work. true. I used to have one of those. Uh, it was uh, my Mossberg Chuckster had a sticker on it with the, the FN number is what it's called, the mm-hmm. firearms number, or FIN, firearms identification number. Mm-hmm. But my uh, my Enfield actually doesn't have a serial number. It has an FIN on it as well, and it's uh, it's laser engraved. But yeah, you can. I don't know if that was to replace a serial number or because it didn't have a serial number. Uh, I'm yeah, not sure. It, it's got to be on there, and uh, you can't change it. But like. Um, if if I uh, finish an eighty percent lower, I got to put a number on it. That's true, but I, I'm just wondering about taking one off and then putting it back on. I wonder yeah. if you'd have to put one on and then take the other one off. Well, I think our standard answer will be like always: call, call the Canadian Fire and yeah, Center and find right. it. They'll know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll call that. I'm gonna call Gunsmith and, and and see what the case is because I wouldn't mind going like a lot deeper on it. I wanna I wanna make this thing aggressive and and it's so that you can go load two. And you've got lots of room, uh, clearance around your thumb so that you're kind of using, like, you're kind of bending your thumb back and you're using that, that flat part of your thumb to push in the shell and you're not pushing in with the tip of your thumb and getting it snagged in there. And um, you also taper the, the front part above your follower so that your hand brushes up it like a ramp and it doesn't hit any sharp edges. Yeah, you bet. Right? It's, it's smooth as butter right now, but I just, I just would really like to take down that one edge and, and get it right in there and make it really deep. But, uh, yeah, maybe we'll have to have a gunsmith, like, put a new serial number. Anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll call the CFO and find out if that's legal or not first, before I do that, right? I would say it's like um, i got to put a rivet into a mag or I have to move a rivet to a mag. Uh, put, put the new one in before you take the old one out so it's always riveted. Mm-hmm. Put the new serial number on before you take the old serial number off just yeah. in case that moment. That 30 seconds where your gun has no serial number, that's when they decide to inspect your collection without a warrant or something, you know. Yeah, you bet. Uh, um, be- yeah, anyways, so I, uh, I did that mod um, and uh, made like oh, around 1,300 rounds of 9mm. Um, I've got like a, I had, I had taken out 2,000 rounds out of that big Costco, uh, what was that, uh, um, laundry powder detergent pail. It's like a two and a half gallon pail and it's back to full again, so got two and a half gallons of nine millimeter which that's that's that should be enough for this year nice i found uh, our nine mil for the saint paul class i was gonna remember matthew and i were gonna ask you to load our ammo <laughs> yeah i'm going somewhere with this uh, <laughs> we've got a buddy out there who has 1700 rounds for sale who is going to come out and check out the course and come out and visit us at the at the course so we'll get you two hooked up and get that picked up in case he can't make it sweet yeah 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 
Yeah, I, I, like o- over the winter, um, I'd really like to build up a huge stock stockpile of it, so that when we get into the uh, summer and competition, that kind of thing, we can. I don't need to reload every other weekend, and I can uh, I can just go shooting. That's what I do. I just make bullets in the winter and make brass in the summer. Yeah, and uh, you know I've been thinking about it for a while, but uh, after seeing a, a video of the world's finest trimmer, I uh, I've got one of those on order for two two three. I but should say I you're welcome, but it's your you fault. Can talk, you can one. talk. You can talk about that more if you want. Yeah. Well, it was you told me about it. <laughs> I bought one, and then after you saw my video, you bought one. Yeah. So I was your guinea pig. That's great. I'm glad I could help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do, but I no, as that. soon as I as soon as I saw you run the brass into the into that drill press for what two seconds, three seconds, and it and it and it was done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll hook me up. Hook me right Need up. Need this. <laughs> yep, yep. Because I've got a drill press for it. I can run the brass in there. Now I think you mentioned that if you, if you handle a lot of brass, it'll it'll uh, get your fingers sore. I didn't say that. It's you because that. he's a. Never mind. I said I had a blister. <laughs> okay. All it's right, it's well. not because you have a soft job. I have a blister. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. I have a easier job than you do, yeah. actually. There you go. I'm not one to judge. Well, I type all day. I mean, that's that's my job. Uh, anyways, for my soft typing hands, I, I went and the entire has a sale on mechanics gloves right now, so I went and picked up three pairs. Ooh, In anticipation of, of running like a thousand or two thousand uh, brass through one of these trimmers. Mm. Cool, cool. That's it for me. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, I went to yet another 3D tournament, uh, new location that I hadn't been to before, and I finished second. And isn't shot. this like your fifth consecutive second? Uh, no, no, this is my only my second second this year. All the oh. other ones were fourth or fifth. Oh, okay. Yeah, and right. uh, so shot. sorry, sorry to bring up that you were shooting more poorly than I thought you were. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm actually shooting really well, but the other guys are shooting just a little bit better. Oh, that's all right. Um, uh, all of the like the top four to five spots are all shooting well over 400. Or I'm sorry, this, I asked. Yeah, that's uh, gonna get worse. Oh boy. So uh, for 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 a round, the, the perfect score is 220, and I shot a 213 in the morning. So that's a strong. That's round. not bad. That's yeah. really good, man. And then in the afternoon, I just just couldn't get it. I was getting the 10s, but I was just narrowly missing the 11s. And so I shot a 207. So I ended up with a 420 for the day. Um, best score I've seen so far this year was a 425. So I'm, I'm not chasing numbers. You know, my goals are always about the process, not about the outcome. Um, well, just, you have to measure your outcome. So right. you have and to measure, was, yeah. So you yep. still have to know what the scores are. Yep, exactly. So I was hoping to, to break that, but uh, I ended up shy with a 420. Um, I was beat by a 422. I, I, so there was two points between first and second, and two points between second and third. So the guy in third had 218, I had 220, and the guy in first had 222. So he was or 422. So he's very consistent. He shot a 411 in the morning and a 411 in the afternoon. That is fairly consistent. Yeah. So for some reason, I kept hitting my bow arm in the afternoon. Oh, well, for some reason. I wasn't getting my hand into the riser correctly, and I wasn't lining up my bow arm correctly. And that started to affect me because I'd be like, I I was at full draw, and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to hit it again, aren't I? (laughs) 
and it would take me out of my shot and distract me, and then sure enough, I'd smack the freaking arm. But I was shooting well, so I refused to change anything. Right. You know, but, uh, yeah, so it just it didn't uh, didn't come together as well for me the second half. Like, found them looking through my peep sight was a little was a little uh, fuzzy, and there's a way to correct that. And I waited too late to correct it. I should have. I thought maybe it was me just not putting my head into the string correctly, but the uh, the D loop had moved a little bit, so the peep was offset. So you're looking through at a at an angle instead of straight through, so you're not getting as enough as much light coming into your eye. And um, yeah, it's just little little things. Uh, mostly, I think I was I knew I shot well in the morning. So I was trying to shoot as well in the afternoon. So I put some pressure on myself. So, um, and then, but now I have my own indoor or my own private range. We, uh, changed locations where I work. We moved, we moved my school from one location to another location. And I have two hallways that are 25 meters long. So every day, my new routine, when I'm done work for the day, I spend an hour shooting my bow when everybody's gone, of course, um, in my own indoor private range. So it's very, very, very convenient. Imagine if you could shoot Ipsic every day for an hour for free, uh, how much better you would get. You know, in archery, I get my arrows back. All you need is a place to, to practice, and there's not really, you know, not everybody can shoot 18 meters in their home. So my bow is at the office, and it stays at the office unless I need it for a tournament. I'll lock it up there. And uh, so I got some practice in today after school, uh, 297 with 16 X's and 297 with 18 X's. So not exactly spectacular, but at least I was shooting. So that's good. Yeah. Um, I got to check out a really cool Ruger carbine. I didn't even know this thing ex- existed um, a couple of weeks ago when I was in Fredericton for an archery clinic. Um, a guy I was with, a young guy who I've been coaching and mentoring, Big big gun nut. Um, he was talking ballistics. When we he would drive the other archers crazy. He'd be talking about the ballistic coefficients of this bullet and the velocity of that bullet and all this stuff. Back before I was even into guns, he was talking about guns. So we went over to his grandfather's place to check out his grandfather's collection. And his grandmother just passed recently. God rest her soul. She used to hunt deer every fall with a Ruger carbine chambered in forty four magnum. <laughs> nice. It's a twenty. It's it's a ten twenty two. Yep. But with a ten forty four. Yeah, ten forty four. Is that what they call it? The pretty 1044? sure. Yeah, pretty uh, sure. I I saw it in a, in a in a Ruger book that he's got it's called the Ruger yeah. Carb. Anyway, it, it, it instead of having a rotary magazine like the ten twenty two, it has a tubular magazine underneath. Well, can you imagine a rotary forty uh, four mag? Yeah, May that'd be kind of big. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so it's semi automatic, tube fed forty four magnum. And with any luck, I'm going to get to shoot this thing on Saturday. I've always been, I've, I've always liked those. I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate the 1022. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the 1022, but I do like the 1022. And to think of the, to have the 1044, it would just, I've just always wanted one. That, that's just really cool. It I, is wow. really cool. I like yeah, the look of it. I, I, I don't know. I just, I really like them. What's that, uh, Adriel? It, gas operated rotating bolt, four round tubular magazine. Wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. As, you know, I mean, it, it beats the heck out of a, a lever action 44. It's a 44. It's a rifle. It's carbine, so it's short. And it's semi auto. I mean, it's semi auto 44 Magnum rifle. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> I need this in my life. And she has schwacked a lot of deer with this thing over the years. We were going through some photo albums, and my God, 
like I think she shot a deer with it every fall. Just insane. And his grandfather had this Savage twenty two. I want to call it a revolver, but it wasn't. The cylinder didn't actually revolve. It was a single shot, and the chamber kind of popped out to the side. It was the funniest-looking thing I've ever seen. Very, very old. Uh, just a really neat old gun. And it's always cool when you, like, you know, we have seen a lot of guns. Everywhere we go, guns, guns, guns. And we get to handle a lot of guns, and we go to shooting events and stuff. So it's, I mean, there's just so many things out there that we haven't seen. But after a while, you start to see some of the same stuff over and over. I remember one summer I saw like four of those savages with the 22 on top and the 20 gauge or whatever. What were those savage? You, you, or what? 24. Savage, savage, yep, savage 24. 24. Yeah. I saw like four one summer one time and then I haven't seen one since. So anyway, it's pretty cool to see this old uh, revolver. So, um, what else I got going on? My trimmers arrived and they are the, the world's finest trimmer we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now. I got one in 223 and one in 308. Um, so super easy to set up. I put some videos on our Facebook page so you can go there to check them out. I won't get into how to set them up. Go look at those videos, see how easy they work. One criticism is that they fill up with brass really quickly. You have to be careful. There's two holes on the side of the trimmer body and brass shavings will come flying out of this thing. So you need to wear eye protection. This is no joke. And the brass shavings, you get a small one of those in your eye, you're going to make a mess of your eye when you start blinking trying to get it out. So eye protection, 100%. It's a must, no joke. The other criticism I have is you, you it, it cuts the brass shorter, maybe a thou or two thou shorter than it should based on how you set it. So it's like you adjust it, and then you might want to go a little bit longer if you want exact case length. So if you're already trimming your cases to the minimum, and you adjust this off of one of your cases that's been trimmed to the minimum, you're now going to have cases that are shorter than the minimum required or recommended length. So keep that in mind. It says in the instructions that it may come a thou or two thou shorter, but it doesn't. And then it gives you, on the back of the instruction sheet, there's a, a list of common case lengths for common calibers. So it says if you're, you know, 223 should be this length, 308 should be this length. So my 308s are coming out fine, but my 223s are now coming out shorter than the minimum. So I was using the Lee trimmer, which you can't adjust. It cuts to a certain length. And I adjusted my tabletop hand uh, brass trimmer to that length. And so when I adjusted my world's finest trimmer, it's actually cutting them shorter than that. So I need to kind of go back and play with that. The other thing is, it says that to chamfer and deburr, you hold the brass in two or three seconds, you actually feel it stop cutting, and then you just turn it a quarter of a turn. So I was doing that, and it was coming out, the, the cases were coming out really clean. You didn't have to chamfer, you didn't have to deburr. But now, after, oh, less than 1,500, the edge, the outside edge of the case is not coming out clean anymore. So I brought this up to, to Mike, who interviewed the owner of Little Crow, the guys who developed this trimmer and sell it. He's like, talk to him, send him an email, and see what he says about that. So I haven't done that yet. So um, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm doing something wrong, or maybe the blade is actually starting to get dull already. I don't know. So just something that I noticed at this point. Um, i having some issues. I was on the phone last night with Bolivar quite a bit off and on. Maybe you guys will have some insight. 
If I take a piece of brass, 223 brass, and I resize it in my Dillon, and then I trim it to length, and I drop that piece of resized brass in my case gauge, it goes in my case gauge perfectly. Falls in free all the way down. The head stamp is flush with the top of the case gauge. I take a piece of factory ammo. I drop it in my case gauge. Same thing. Drops in cleanly. Sits flush with the top of the case gauge. Now I run that piece of brass through my Dillon. Insert a primer. Insert a powder charge. Put a bullet on. Crimp it or seat it. Crimp it. Drop that finished ammunition into the case gauge. And it doesn't sit flush. It falls down to about half of the rim sticking out or the entire rim sticking out. I'm like, that's not cool. What's going on? So I try a couple manually through the through the gun. I get a couple of hard extractions. One needs to be uh, seated with the um, forward assist. Told him what's going on. Talked to Brian. Brian says, you're probably over crimping and pushing your shoulder down some. I'm like, yeah, I've seen that happen before. I've done that before. Maybe that's the case. Yeah. Try it again. No crimp. I don't crimp this ammo. Does the same thing. Um, come to find out when I seat the bullet, it's stretching the neck because with no bullet seated, no problem. As soon as I put a bullet in, it seats the neck. So I tried some different bullets. I've got, uh, some Nosler Varmageddon's here. I've got some spear here. I tried the spear 55 grain. It dropped in perfectly. Tried the Nosler, not so much. The Campro, not so much. So then I measured them. Spear was 223. The nozzle was 223, the Armageddon, Varmageddon, I don't think I measured, but I thought they were supposed to be 224. Maybe it was the way I was measuring them. I just took the calipers and laid it on the bullet from front to back, not the diameter or circumference. I went with the length to measure it, and they were coming up 223. So I don't know. You guys have any thoughts on that? Uh, are you running a compressed powder charge? Nope. Uh, my my guess would have been what Brian said there that you're over crimping and that you're uh, you're you know uh, getting the shoulder to to bow out a little bit because um, I can't it like I can't see how bullet plus neck equals to uh, too you know too big for your case gauge or or for your AR15 because your AR should have generous generous enough clearances on that kind of stuff mm-hmm. right oh yeah and they didn't all extract hard but yeah that's the only factor Adriel is when I put the bullet in. Mm-hmm. then the finished cartridge doesn't want to drop into the case gauge. What's and your OAL? Are you, are you running them so that the uh, the bullet might be hitting the lands? Well, there's a cantaloupe on the bullet. They're uh, yeah. 55 grain Campro, and oh, I'm, I'm running it. Uh, yeah, I'm running it yeah. to the middle of the cantaloupe. Yeah, like, you're not going to hit it on that one. No. When I when I get desperate about uh, uh, fit issues, I uh, color the whole thing with, with, with black marker, and then I run it, and uh, I, I see... Where it starts to rub, because that'll uh, that'll tell you where where your critical clearance is. Yeah, that was going to be my suggestion too. I've done that before as well. Whenever I've had uh, casings that just didn't seem to be fitting right, I use a dry erase marker, but permanent marker would work as well. Just yeah, uh, yeah you just stick it through and you see where where the marker scraped off, and you can instantly tell. Well, where, it's going to issue. It's, it's going to be on the neck, so. Yeah, but what's what's causing that? Like, what, what's causing your neck? It's it's not making the neck the neck longer. No, it's, it's got to be making the diameter. Yeah, it's got to be making the. Is the your is too much of a crimp when you're crimping it? Is it bowing it a little bit? Uh, no, I've I've done it without any crimp. Yeah, that's weird. I don't I'm know. gonna have to measure the neck before the bullet goes in, and then measure the bullet measure the neck after the bullet goes in. Yeah. I can't see having to turn down. If I got to turn down two two three cases for my AR, no, uh, no, exactly. Yeah. Like, I wonder. Um, 
You you mentioned that you're not uh, chamfering the inside or the outside on the neck. I wonder if there's no, a, like ones, a little ridge there. These ones are different. These ones different? weren't the ones that I did on the. Um, these are ones I did on my hand trimmer. I see. And they are chamfered and deburred. Hmm. Well, yeah. that's a pickle. Yeah. Well, listeners, if anybody has any thoughts, I see the bullet and it doesn't go in the case gauge and it's not a crimping issue because the same thing happens when I don't crimp. Uh, if you have any insight as to what may be causing the problem, please send me a PM or email the show. Um, and then I sold a CZ Shadow and I bought a CZ Shadow. Um, you don't know this guy, Adriel, but the listeners have heard me talk about him before, and Matthew certainly knows him. Uh, Selsh Noel used to be the um, yeah. pistol section coordinator for my club. He moved away, and he was in Alberta, and he's not going to get into Ipsic, so he transferred his shadows to me and shipped them off to me and asked me if I would take care of selling them for him. So he had uh, a bunch of Ipsic equipment for ladies, which is still available for sale if any of the ladies out there want pink belts and pink holster and pink mag pouches let me know and two shadows and one of them but well both of the shadows were uh had trigger jobs done on them by um the uh montreal indoor range the one that i decided to keep for myself has the shadow line grips and the shadow line safeties and one of the issues i have when i hold a cz shadow or a cz um, tactical sport is that the safety digs into the the thumb on my support hand and this one does not because it has that nice reduced safety and the double action trigger pull is amazing it's just at five pounds can't be anymore because it wouldn't be legal for production and so um yeah i bought a bought a shadow this week cool because you know i need i needed a shadow because i shoot production wait yeah wait no i don't huh but anyway i have it keep it for a while shoot a match with it sell it whatever Better in my hands than somebody else's. That's what I always say. <laughs> so, oh, and the uh, FN holster arrived from Red Hill Tactical. The hol- remember the holster I used this summer, Matthew, for my FN. Yeah, it's a single layer of Kydex, mm-hmm. and, it cra- and it cracked. So I contacted the um, the owner of the company, and he's like, a single layer? No, no, no. He said that's not for running a gun, and that's just a range holster. You don't roll around the dirt with that thing. So he said, I'll give you an upgrade. You just pay the difference. So that's what I did. He nice. sent me a yeah, he sent me a double one, but no hanger. I had oh. to I paid twenty dollars American in the to make up the difference in price between the one I had and the double layered Kydex one, but he didn't include a hanger. I had to rip the hanger off the broken one. Hmm. So anyway. Well, what are you gonna do with the hanger on the broken one anyway? Well, the broken one is still fine as a range holster, uh, like in a class or whatever. I wouldn't want to run around and roll in the dirt with it or do three gun, but I mean it's just a small crack in the corner. Right. So I do have two FNs, so two holsters would have been nice. But anyway, I guess I could always get a hanger. So um, upcoming events, are we ready? Sure, yeah. why not? All right. Anyone in northern New Brunswick looking to get a restricted possession acquisition safety course, there is one going to be taking place in Camelton on April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Wow, three days. It's almost as long as the Black Badge. Huh. To register, um, call the Chief Firearms Office at 453-3700. I'll call the Canadian Firearms Center. <laughs> I don't, I can't remember the, uh, 7314000. Yeah, that number. 7314000, yeah. Um, also, it's going to be here, uh, before you know it, the first annual Ronnie DeGroote Rockout with your Glockout Steel Challenge will be on June 4th. And, uh, we're not the only one doing things in honor of Ronnie DeGroote. 
the money from the Steel Challenge is going to be donated to the Restigush Snowmobile Club, where Ronnie was a uh, a uh, a member who donated a lot of his time to help build that club. They had a race this weekend that was in his honor as well. So he, that's cool. Yeah, he left a hole. He certainly missed in the community. So it's nice to see other groups honoring his memory as well. Yep. So June fourth, and it'll be. Um, some of the typical steel challenge stages like you see in large steel challenge matches plus some some fun stuff right like two guys uh, on a plate rack or each on their own plate rack man versus man shoot off type stuff so and all the money will go to to the Restigush snowmobile club coming up also just around the corner the sixth annual charity shoot and if uh kelly wasn't off gallivanting and being a correspondent in michigan she could tell us about it because her and kevin and the guys over at new street canada are doing a fantastic job every time we hear about the charity shoot it's a new sponsor a new sponsor a new sponsor it's amazing the work that they put into this um you do have to pre-register and pre-registration before the first of may will get you a free t-shirt also you'll get your name in a in a draw for a gun uh i believe registration is 30 bucks matthew you just registered didn't you 35 35 bucks okay yep. so pre-registration is is kind of a must and it's 35 bucks it'll be the 25th of june in kingston ontario at the brockville district fishing game club if you're interested you should contact new shooter canada um, you can go to the New Shooter Canada website or go to the New Shooter Canada Facebook page, and there's a, an events page as well that you can find. Uh, got your six, a Wounded Warrior Charity Shoot. That's being held at the Edson Fish and Game One Mile Range in Alberta, July 16th, 17th. Go to gotyoursixshoot.com for more information. Um, news. Adriel, you want to take this one? Um, yeah, actually, this one was uh, was from a, a listener, James. Uh, this was Michael, Michael Dockrell was sentenced to four years in his son's accidental uh, shooting death. A Nova Scotia man convicted in the 2011 uh, accidental shooting death of his 20-year-old son has been sentenced to four years in prison. Uh, in sentencing uh, on Friday, the Supreme Court justice said the man fired blindly, and this that figure could have been anyone. Uh, if I could just skip down to the spot where he talks about what, you're, what they're doing. Dockerell and his son were trying to fend off a home invasion at their house in Lakeside when Michael Dockerell opened fire. He said he thought he was shooting at an intruder. Arnold said Friday that when Dockerell shot at someone, he was wantonly reckless as to whether they died. Dockerell didn't know he had shot his son until he went outside. Uh, Arnold describes a parent killing his child as probably the very worst of tragedies, and Dockerell declined to address the court. So this has been in the legal system for a while, and it's just getting through. So much fail. Uh, yep. I mean, a couple of quick thoughts. I mean, the man lost his son. Um, he is to blame. Know your target. What's in the foreground? What's in the background? If you can't identify your target, you don't shoot. He shot blindly, and he killed his son. So not only did he kill his son, I'm going to just I, I call it crass, call it whatever you want, but he set back uh, self-defense rights. He made all gun owners, you know, this is why they don't want us to have guns in our home because you're, sh- you're more likely to shoot a member of your family than you are to shoot an intruder. Now this will be cited for years to come. Look at what yeah. happens when you try and take matters into your own hands. <sighs> yeah, should have had a flashlight. I mean, this is this is why lighting on pistols are are, are such a, a pragmatic choice because you know you need a light when it's when it's dark out. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah. 
There was an interesting show. Um, Bolivar was on Paul um, Carlson's podcast. The name escapes me right now. If anybody can remember it, please speak up. Um, and they did a whole show on weapon-mounted lights versus handheld lights. Because mm-hmm. when you're pointing that light, you're also pointing the firearm. So I point the, the, the light, and, oh, it's Adriel. Okay, don't shoot Adriel. Oh, I'm pointing a loaded gun at Adriel. Mm-hmm. So there's two schools of thoughts on weapon-mounted lights. You're pointing a flashlight, but you're also pointing a loaded gun when you're pointing the flashlight. I don't know. but A I'm flashlight not- at some point. Yeah, I mean, what do you think, Matthew? Point point a flashlight and then take the flash, then hold the flashlight, hold the gun, or point the light and the gun at the same time. What do you? Think? I don't keep flashlights on my guns no. for self defense at all. I, I don't. I don't think. I, I understand that it is a great way to hands free point a flashlight and a firearm at somebody, but I don't do that for a living. I think it's completely appropriate for police or law enforcement or military to do that because. Generally, when they're pointing their guns, it's already at somebody they know to be bad. Um, myself, if I'm investigating a bump in the night, I'm not pointing my gun at anything I don't want to shoot. So I have flashlights throughout the house, and I grab a flashlight and go. You know, I'm not going to grab a gun with a flashlight attached to it because I point my flashlight and, you know, Jules out sleepwalking again, you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Jewel doesn't sleepwalk. Interesting. But it's okay for cops to do it. Yeah, I think so. Um, in certain situations, if you're, if, you know, it's a, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not a cop, I'm not an expert, but to me, it seems reasonable that if you're kicking down the door of a crack house, uh, you know, mount a flashlight to your gun so that you have both hands to shoot accurately if you have to. You're breaking down the door to a crack house. Chances are people inside, you know, there's a much higher likelihood of them needing to shoot with two hands securely on the firearm than me. Where I'm so, investigating a bump in the night. I don't know. So, I, I, I just as a counterpoint, I think you know I, I would rather not be monkeying around with a flashlight and a pistol if if I had to investigate. Like, given yes, you don't want to you don't want to be pointing a, a handgun, especially a loaded handgun, at, at someone when you don't know who they are. I mean, the the time it takes to hold a flashlight and you know handle a pistol, you're you're giving up a lot on time. That's why that's why I think you know a lot of uh, police and military run with flashlights on them because. They're going to be pointing a loaded gun at someone, and they don't know if they're uh, friendly or not. Uh, but they do it because they they like seconds count if you're if you're going to be doing yeah. that kind of thing, right? That's true. And the other option for for running a flashlight on a firearm is flashlights. And, and I'm I'm, gonna, I'm completely backing my or going on the the wrong team here compared to what I was just saying a minute ago. But bear in mind that flashlight technology has come a long way. And I know a lot of times whenever I'm investigating something in the night, and I do on a semi regular basis because my cats are are really dumb and irritating, and they wake us up at night. Um, when when I turn on my 400 candle power or my 400 lumen flashlight, my eyes aren't ready for that. So when I turn it on, I point it at the ceiling from behind my back, which is stupid because it silhouettes me. But, you know, I don't, there's enough light now in the room that I can see what's going on. If I did have a weapon mounted flashlight, I could keep that pointed at the floor and there would be enough extra light bouncing off the floor to, to let me identify my target possibly. And if then I did need to shoot it, I could just bring my gun up and shoot. So that does make sense. You don't actually have to point your flashlight at the subject to see what it is, especially when your eyes aren't adjusted at night. And, and you both raise excellent points. Initially, Matthew, the way you were describing it was more like an offensive firearm, yes, flashlight, 
I know I'm going into a bad situation. Right. So it's okay for me to be pointing in the first place. A defensive firearm, if there is such a thing between offensive and defensive firearms, if there is, in fact, a difference, um, the, the, how the gun is being used, yeah, the role will determine whether or not. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree. I think that maybe a, a defensive, you know, I, I don't have my guns for self-defense. That That's something that I can use them for if I need to. Um, so my guns don't come with flashlights attached to them because I don't view them as an offensive tool. I will use them if I need to, but I'm not prepared to use them if I need to. Like, I'm, I'm not setting them up to be ready for that. You know what I mean? I don't have flashlights on my guns ready to shoot things in the night whenever uh, the cats knock something off the mantle. So, you know, I think it's, for me anyway, I, I don't like pointing my gun at something that I'm not sure what it is. I'm not, I'm not a cop. I'm not a military. I'm not expecting there to be anything in the night. Whenever I go investigate, I'm 99.9% sure it's just a cat. Mm, yeah. So I'm ready for it to be just a cat. You, and if it's something else, then I, I you know, You got more react. than one cat, though. Unfortunately, yeah. And, and are you saying that cats don't need to be shot? I'm not I'm sure. not saying that. <laughs> oh, okay. All no. Right. It's fun to be clear on that. Yeah. You always need All sight right. picture practice, you know? <laughs> God, not on the pets. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I got kids, so it's not like I have flashlights on my pistols either. I've got kids. I'm not going to not gonna roll around at night pointing a, a, a pistol with a flashlight at anything that moves, right? So, right. I, have yeah. got, I, I keep a flashlight next to the bed, and... The only there is a gun with a flashlight on it, and that's an AR. Why I don't know. Just because somebody because well, you can you can put cool. flashlights on ARs very easily. I mean, I've got guns that have flashlights on them, or or could have flashlights on them, and I've got flashlights set up ready to be put on them. But it's you know it's it's because it's cool to put a flashlight on a gun every now and then, just because it's fun. Yep. Yeah, it's not really any more than that either. Yeah. Because you know uh, it's probably one of the last guns I would grab in the house here if I had to. Yeah. So, hmm. well, anyway, it is too bad. Um, but the lesson here is, you know. Don't again, shoot at things you don't know what they are. Identify your target. I mean, it could be worse. He could be hiding in the bathroom and shooting through the door. Yeah. Right? We yeah. saw that happen. A guy killed his girlfriend. Yep. I mean, geez. But, we, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Never, there's so much to, anyway, it was fail, so. Yeah. Tragedy all around. Yeah, I concur. All right. How about we jump into our main topic then and talk about some uh, precision rifle shooting and, and, and the like? Let's do. Yeah. All right. We have a special treat for the listeners this week. Um, we've asked Captain Andy. Is that okay, Captain Andy? Can you want to go by that? Um, nobody calls me that, but if you want to, you can. All right. Captain Andy it is. <laughs> <laughs> how about just Andy? All right. Andy, who can be found on card number... What card are you on, Andy? Six of Hearts, I believe. Andy is the Six of Hearts in the podcast podcaster's uh, deck of playing cards. Oh, that's what you look like. Oh, yeah. No, I remember he is. Now. I'm yeah. just kidding. We've met. <laughs> Captain Andy Shan. Yep. No, we call him Captain because when he's not shooting Ipsic in the summertime like he's supposed to be, he's out on a sailboat for some lame reason. However, you guys should come down. I'll take you out. Can we shoot seals in the face? If we see any, sure. Perfect. All right. Well, Andy, uh, welcome to Slamfire Radio. We don't have you on here to talk about sailing or shooting seals in the face. We actually have you on because we want to have another episode about precision rifles, uh, precision shooting, rather. And I understand that uh, in your younger days, you spent some time at Bisley. Uh, Yeah, I did. I was much younger, actually. I was 16. Well, I wasn't. So that was basically like 42 years ago? 
Yeah. Oh. <laughs> What's a bizly? No. What's a bizly? Uh, let oh. me say we don't normally treat our guests like this, but Andy is a friend of the show, so the gloves are off. Yeah. So therefore, uh, yeah, the abuse begins now. Yeah, okay. the abuse began with Matthew before the show, actually. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which will incidentally be at the end of the show. Yeah, <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> well, let's start off. All right, let's actually get on track here and bring this around. Um, we want to have you on to talk about precision rifle shooting. And you do have some experience, as you said, when you were a junior. Uh, you went all the way to Bisley, so we can talk a little bit about what uh, Bisley is. Um, but sure. first, maybe you could tell us, what the different types of precision rifle shooting there are. Like we know that there's F-class and then there's whatever happens at Bisley. And so why don't you go into that? Let's start there. If I want to shoot precision long-range rifle, what type of venues or um, disciplines are there for me to shoot a precision rifle? Well, I'm no expert on F-class, but that is one of the, uh, uh, I think it's growing faster than anything else, but a lot of people are getting into that and it's, I can remember when that started in the, you know, the, the DCRA, the Dominion of Canada Rifle Association competitions. Um, I shot target rifle, which is prone with a sling, uh, no support and no optics. You're shooting with, a, you know, a peep sight and an aperture front sight at a, at a big black bullseye target. And then F class came along. I think. <laughs> People aren't going to like it that I say this, but I think it came along because some of the old guys could see, couldn't see their sights anymore and they wanted to use a scope. <laughs> but uh, maybe that's not the case. But uh, I can remember when they started F-Class and then at the time as a, a 17 or 18-year-old kid thinking that it was ridiculous that you were allowed to shoot with a scope and with a bipod because it would be so easy, so simple. Uh-huh. But if everybody's in that class is doing that, of course, it's whoever can do it the best. So. It's still a competition, but in my little eighteen-year-old mind, the way I did it was cooler, you know. Now, I mean, the you know the shooting community is not that big. If you ask me if I know an Ipsic shooter from Ontario, there's a good chance I do because we all see each other at the same major matches and you get to know each other. Uh, right. Was target rifle kind of the same thing? Yeah, very much so. Very do you know so. a gentleman by the name of Marcel Bork from the Moncton area? Um, that sounds familiar, but I can't say I know him for sure. Okay. Because keep in mind, I've been out of this game for a long time. Yeah. Well, so is he. I mean, he's yep. over fifty years old, right. and he's a competitive target archer, three D archer now in the province. So him and I go to archery tournaments and talk sure. about guns the whole time. And <laughs> um, he had a two eighty Remington, I believe, or a two eighty four Winchester, one or the other. That's where I've heard these two calibers recently. I'm trying to get one for my ammo collection, actually. And um, that's what he did. And he told me, he said, No, no, no scopes no we didn't use scopes back in my day it was all about the peep sights and he was telling me that he would shoot out to a thousand with peep sights yes um in when i was in england we actually did 1200 one time as a sort of a fun match but uh, you're really reaching the limitations of the uh the ivi ball cartridge at that hmm. range oh okay, yeah so- oh yeah you, you know the, it's a keep in mind you're aiming at a huge big black bullseye but yeah yeah okay so target rifle kind of it was no optics, peep sights, and what was the minimum distance and what was the maximum distance for, let's say, a match? Um, the minimum was usually 300. I believe there may have been some 200-yard matches, but it was it was usually 3, 5, and 6, and then at longer ranges. I mean, a lot of ranges around only went to 6, 600. Okay. Now, so you could it, have a match at 6. Yeah. A day shooting was usually a match at 3, 5, and 6. 
meters. Uh, when I, 600 meters. Well, yeah, it was yards then. Oh, it was most, yards. Okay. Most of them are in meters now, I guess, you know. Right. Um, okay. We had the metric system back then, but <laughs> we weren't using it. Um, when I first started, we shot three, four, five, and six, but they kind of dropped four. I don't okay. know if the day was getting too long or what, but yeah, that's what you do. You'd, you'd start out at three, everybody shot, you'd move back to five, obviously, but you had to know how far to move your sights up. Uh, and of course, as the further back you went, the harder it became to read wind and the more difference it made. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, once you have the fundamentals of shooting down, playing the wind became the real game. Okay. Being good at it. And so in, in the course of a match, do you shoot just one distance or you shoot X number of rounds at, at different distances? I think you said, you know, we'd shoot at three, then we'd move back to five. Right. The results from all three distances would, would be the match. Okay. So three distances in a match, how many rounds per distance? Uh, usually most, ma- most, uh, relays we call them were, were 10 rounds and you'd get two ciders at the beginning. For each so distance? Yep. So you'd okay. fire your, you'd be firing 12 shots. Sometimes okay. you had a 15 round match and there was the odd ones that were seven, but usually 10. Okay. And, um, the scoring, was it like a, an archery target, let's say with a bullseye and then scoring zones? That's 10 right. Score. Okay. Bull, bullseye was five. And then yeah. the next ring, ring out, ring out was called it an inner and which is four points. Okay. Uh, and all the way up to one. Um, no, a three, the next one out was a three and it was called a magpie. An outer was two. That's the outer ring. And then there is no one. It's either okay. a miss or, or two. So it was five to two. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Very good. And then later on, after I got out of it, really, maybe the last year that I shot competitively, the V-bull came in, which was basically like an X-ring in the center. And that was... Yeah, that it was just... That, I think that was also coinciding with F-class. I, I don't, I'm a little fuzzy on that. Okay. But maybe because, you know, with the scope, you things were getting tighter and i believe uh you know when we when i was doing this back this was back in the 80s and early no (laughs) no, it wasn't that bad um the 80s and early 90s uh at that time in the dcra competition hand loading hand loaded ammo was not allowed you had to use issue uh ivi canadian forces 762 nato and it was terrible it was terrible stuff awful awful stuff so um, everybody was shooting a, a rifle chambered in 308. That's right. And you had to use Canadian military 7.62 ball ammo. Yep. Some lots were better than others, and you really hoped you got to a match that had the, the good lot. I remember one good lot was DA65. I can still remember that now. If you got that now, stuff, you're happy. Would everybody at the match be handed out the same ammo? Yes. Did you, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So if it was bad ammo, it was bad ammo for everybody. If it was good ammo, it was good ammo for everybody. Yes, but what you had to watch was that some sneaky bugger didn't have a bunch of the good lot from somewhere else and brought it to the match and, and switched it. Ooh. Because that was a trick. And that would happen? Now, I don't know how I know that, but yeah, that was a trick. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> hmm. You got to plead the fifth on that one, huh? Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the, the bullseye, it was two minutes, two minutes of angle. Um, now, you know, shooting today with a scope on a bench rest, if you only got two MOA, you wouldn't be very happy. Mm. But with that ammo and shooting with a sling. And McClatchy and, does that with his 795. There you go. <laughs> sure. 
<laughs> well, I just don't want Mike to think he chose the wrong rifle, Matthew. So no, he'll be fine. Inside joke. All right. So okay. So everybody in Target was forced to use the same ammo, but what about the rifles themselves? And how did they change and develop? Were people building rifles, or could you walk into a shop and say, "Sell me a quote-unquote Target rifle"? Uh, both. Um, you'd start out with an off-the-shelf one, and they were. You know, you could go right from the bottom of the pile to the top, just like anything else. Um, and the, I think the bottom-ish would have been the Sportco 44, I believe it was the model. It was made in Australia by Omark. That's what the cadets used. Uh, they were probably the least expensive, but they, you know, the big heavy barrel on them, 30-inch, 28 or 30-inch barrel on a 308. You're trying the to get good. Oh, Yeah. These things are heavy and, and trying to get the most velocity out of it that, that you can. And plus it improves your sight radius because you're using iron sights, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that was kind of the, the most common one. And then it moved up from there. There was an, a rifle called Musgrave that was made in South Africa. It was quite a high quality one. Um, I have one of those now, which I haven't fired in, you know, since the early 90s. Um, there was the swing action from... I, I believe that was from England. That was that was considered kind of the Cadillac back then. I still, I think there's still a thing now. Uh, they might be called RPA now. I don't know, but there was, you know, there were custom barrels. P people back then were trying to get Krieger barrels, uh, which are still popular today, and uh, everyone knows a Krieger barrel is good. Um, uh, yeah, that's what I have on my 308. Yeah, but I've got a, I've got one now on a 308 as well. I wish I had one back then, but. Uh, even back then, they were the thing. Uh, there was um, what was the other one? There was another barrel that people were using too, and I can't remember the name of it. And I don't think it's. I think I don't remember it because it's not around anymore. Oh, okay, so it's not a shillin' yeah. then. Okay. No, uh, I, I never heard a shillin' till a while, quite a while later. What what kind of price range were you looking at for one of these rifles, from an entry level target rifle to you know, top of the line? I think the. Back then, the Sportco was around 500 bucks. Hmm. Not bad. And then the sights were probably another two or three. Okay. And what's the top end? And one of those swing rifles, I think, back then was, it boggled my mind as a teenager, but I think it was 1500 bucks or something like that, probably. All right. So and triple, but still very affordable. Yep. Yeah, it wasn't okay. uh, out of the question at all. And there's a lot of other gear that went with it. You had to have a, a shooting jacket. That was that was mandatory you needed it um it, it had elbow pads it had a shoulder pad it had a lot of padding to isolate you from the rifle so you didn't get pulse uh moving your gun around and uh help support you a little bit too and so this was um unsupported or sling only sling only uh, and but prone prone yeah prone sling only okay yeah i've never yeah. had any training at all in any of the other positions okay. i was a prone rifle shooter and that was it <laughs> Yeah, and um, now it it uh, the caliber race started, and precision rifle evolved from just three hundred eight. Let's touch upon some of the other calibers that are out there that we only see in precision rifle, and maybe tell us a little bit about their background and what they're a wildcat of that sort of thing. <laughs> well, I could do a little bit there. I don't know a whole lot about that stuff, but I know just from what I've heard around and and i'm kind of interested in that stuff so sure mm -hmm. um i uh, when f class started uh i believe at that time they allowed hand-loaded ammo which i wish i'd gotten in on because uh 
that changed things incredibly. The going from that that NATO ammo to uh, precisely crafted ammo made a huge difference. And you know, uh, you can get a rifle now to shoot half a half a minute without going too crazy. And I'm sure they were doing it as soon as they were allowed to hand load ammo back then too. So you're going from a you're shooting at a two minute of angle bull bullseye with with a gun that could shoot a half minute. You're I think that must be why they brought in the the X ring. But um, that would have been a lot more satisfying because there was nothing worse than, you know, shooting back, shooting a, a match and having a bad round that hit the berm in front of you because there was only a half powder charge in it or something like that. And that happened once in a while. Ugh, uh, I mean, you used to look at your ammo when it was issued to you and you'd take the crooked ones back and ask for a different one. You know, the bullets in sideways. <laughs> wow. But uh, we're supposed to be talking about cartridges. Um they try, you know, velocities, uh, velocity and ballistic coefficient are everything, um, as far as long range shooting goes, because you're trying to, you're trying to guess how much wind there is, and you're not going to be perfect at guessing, but a cart, a bullet that doesn't get moved by the wind as much is going to make up for your errors. So, and that's that's where the velocity, which is speed, and ballistic coefficient, which is the, um, what would be a good way? The it's you know if, what. The way I think of it, it's a description of how quickly the bullet slows down. Ballistic coefficient? Yep. Right. So the higher the ballistic coefficient, the longer it takes to slow down. That's right. Yeah. So uh, that's what you want when battling the wind, something that will not be um, pushed around by the wind. That's right. right. Okay. So the faster the bullet and the better the ballistic coefficient, the more forgiving it is to errors in wind calls. Right. I mean, if you think of it, this way, if if uh, you fire a bullet, truly any bullet, truly horizontal, doesn't matter how much it weighs or anything, it, they all fall at the same speed, and it's just how far it can get downrange before it hits the ground that that makes the difference. So the the less speed it loses, the further it's going to get. Nice. Now okay. it's different than that because we're aiming up a little bit, but that's that's basically what ballistic coefficient describes is how okay. how quickly it loses speed. So a more efficient bullet you know, uh, better on wind. And of course, another way to do it is to get more velocity. So people started using, uh, 300 wind mag, I think was brought into action and that's got more velocity. It's still a 30 caliber, still certain bullet choices, you know, um, still a little hard on the shoulder too. Uh, mm. bit of recoil there for a long day of shooting with a, you know, solid, solid action gun. And, uh, prone you, you get all the recoil there's no doubt about that uh the next one i can think of that came along was this well i think people use the 284 winchester which is a seven millimeter uh seven millimeter bullets are generally a little more efficient than 308s uh at least at that time they were they make what go ahead sorry andy what's the parent case on the 284 is it a 30-06 no the 284 is a thing unto itself Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It was this, if I'm thinking of the right, yeah, I'm thinking of the right one. It was brought out by Winchester, a fairly hot cartridge, quite a bit of case capacity, and then they were also marketing a rifle at the same time that was some kind of a, I might have even been a pump-action rifle or something, so they loaded the ammo really short with the bullet way inside the case, and it didn't work out at all. They They weren't using the capability of the cartridge at all, and the whole thing failed. So it was kind of a a non-cartridge that somebody looked up and discovered would be great for long-range shooting, you know, in the right type of rifle because of the case capacity. 
and the shape of the case. It's, uh, uh, you know, the, the findings at the time, I guess, were that shorter, shorter, fatter cases tended to be a little more consistent in their burning capabilities, I guess, than the long skinny cartridges. So people were trying to find those. And that's now, would, when you talk about short, fatter cases, I start thinking about the 300 Winchester short mag and the 223 Winchester short mag and the yeah. 270. Did these come out about the same time as the 284 or were these kind of a spinoff of the 284, these short mags? I don't mags? know if they were a direct spinoff, but they came out a little later, I believe. Okay. And uh, <laughs> just more, I think probably capitalizing on the short fat thing. I don't know. Um, just a way to, they're kind of, they don't do anything different than existing cartridges do, really. They just kind of are a different thing to try, you know? Mm-hmm. Marketing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay. What so anyway, ones you got this 284, and then people started necking it down to 6.5 because they discovered or knew that 6.5 caliber bullets are a real sweet spot in the in the BC scale of things. You can get some super high BC 6.5 bullets so great wind bucking capability and you're shooting a lighter bullet because it's a smaller smaller diameter so you're also reducing the recoil sound which makes it easier to shoot so 6.280 6.5 by 284 became a real long-range thing for a while um and it was a bit of a barrel burner from what i understand and keep in mind here i'm just going by what i've uh, heard i don't i never mm-hmm. used one never uh Never did an EF class shooting, but no, no that's fine. You're still closer talk, to this sport than yeah. we are, so people talk about it being a bit of a barrel burner. So then, uh, you know, people uh, the latest thing are the six five Creedmoor, and the uh, there's another six five. Um, well, and I also hear a lot of uh, the two sixty, yeah, which, which is, is a neck down three hundred eight. Apparently, is is right. quite an improvement over the three hundred eight. Yes, I mean, yeah, yeah, you just and the only difference is it's got a six point five caliber bullet better bc so isn't there a 6.5 lapua there might be and 6.5 grendel or is it 6.8 grendel yeah Yeah. that's what i was thinking yeah 6.8 spc but i think that's a a small cartridge for the ar i think yeah well and the grendel's in the air as well is it done by alexander arms yeah it's like yeah and um Ken Kowalski over at the Modern Rifleman Radio has an air chambered in 6.5 Grendel. Right, that's right. And, yeah, and the idea is to make a long-range AR out of it. Sure. So You know, the, the Creedmoor uh, and the 260 and the 6.5 by 55 Swedish are pretty much identical, you know, powder capacity-wise and ballistic performance-wise. Uh, same velocities, same, almost the same powder charges, you know. Uh, people like the Creedmoor because you can apparently buy factory ammo that's going to perform. Uh, it's made by Hornady, I think. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's really good stuff. Yeah, and uh, if if you're not into hand loading or if you you're worried about showing up at a match and forgetting your ammo or something, I guess that's a thing. Um, and apparently, 260, which you know a 308 parent case, you'd think would be on the shelves, but I guess it's not. Mm. Um, and, and that's why I built my target rifle in 308. Um, yeah. Some people were saying, "Oh God, you should go 260," and it's fine to say, but tracking down the components and recipes and uh, just I uh, just took I just, you know I'm not a serious target shooter, so I stayed with a more generic caliber that I knew I could source the components or ammo for. Yeah, see, I'd I'd have went right the other way. Yeah, but. <laughs> 
<laughs> You've got a target shooter background, right? Yeah, no, but it's, it's fun to me. It's fun to just uh, make everything, you know, I don't. Uh, well, speaking of making everything, then let's get into uh, reloading. You've been reloading longer than Matthew's been on this planet. Um, I've seen pictures of your reloading setups and you were doing powder coating before we even knew powder coating was a thing up here in the North. So you've got a lot of experience when it comes to reloading for precision. Is there anything different? Like, do I just go get some lead eyes and some brass Canadian tire and that's good? Or are there specialty tools or techniques, tips and tricks that maybe you could share with us? Sure. There's all kinds of stuff. Um, but, once you get past the first few, it's kind of like, is your rifle capable of even showing the difference? Um, so the first thing you need to determine is if your rifle can, can shoot um, and if it can shoot well enough to uh, bother with some of the fussier stuff with the reloading. Um, let's assume it can, though. Um, you know, you – I mean, the basic stuff. Uh, I mean, some guys – who are just reloading just strictly to maybe save money or or maybe get a little more velocity or something they might even use different head stamps on all on a batch of their ammo you know different cases well if you're trying to get some accuracy going here that's one of the easiest things to do is just use all all the same lot of brass and the same head stamp you know same brand right so for Uh, example in both my hunting rifles and my target rifle i use the same brass like all of my uh, hunting rifle, my two-two-three hunting rifle. When I reload for it, I only use Winchester brass. My uh, hunting, my thirty-out six, same thing. I only reload with Winchester brass. And now I switch to Lapua for my target rifle. Hmm. Uh, now, why do I do that? Why does that matter? Why don't I just grab a piece of Federal, a piece of Imperial, and a piece of Winchester and just what's the difference? Who cares? It's brass to brass, right? Well, to a degree, it is. And if you're shooting with open sights at a deer 100 yards away, it's not going to make one bit of difference. Um, now, what we're talking about, of course, is case capacity. And case capacity is how much room the powder has to to burn and react to create pressure and push the bullet out of the barrel. So the volume uh, in a federal case and the volume in a Winchester case may not be the same. It, pretty much guaranteed that it won't be. Right. And it's even the difference then, is the manufacturing. Right. And then when we get into lesser quality products, there's even going to be some discrepancy or some differences in the volume that each yep. of the cases of the same head stamp have. Yeah. Just right. just how much care was taken in its manufacture. Um, do, do any of you guys listen to the Precision uh, Rifle podcast? I do not. Nope. No. Me either. It's, uh, it's, it's really, um, well, it's actually really dry, but it's... Uh, I think I tried. Wow, sell it, it, sell it, would you, man? You're just like, hold me back. (laughs) Long, awkward pauses and and everything. But the the people he gets on to talk about stuff is amazing. And one guy he had on there was uh, Peterson Cartridge Company, uh, the head of that. And it's a company in the States making their own brass. And it's, they've pulled, they're doing everything top drawer no matter what the cost, their their goal is to make the very best brass on, in the world, and uh, it's amazing what they're doing. And really? we can't get it here in Canada, so I don't know why I'm even talking about it. But it would really be really cool to get some commies. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's better. You know, it's they've stepped it up over what Lapua can provide. Um, mm. But uh, that's just you know that it, if you're interested in precision 
shooting. That's one. That's a good podcast to try to listen to. Right. Uh, if you can so, buy the uh, long awkward pause. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, but <laughs> so that's back, one quick simple thing. Okay. So yeah, keeping so all your head stamps the same. You're already ahead of the game there. You've got similar case capacity now. Uh, okay. The next, you know, other things you can pay real good attention to your seating depths. Uh, maybe try some different seating depths. See if the rifle likes it. Now, once you uh, brand of primer, some people will mix those around and just use any old primer. Oh my well, god, at least my head would explode. <laughs> Me too, <laughs> but I've seen it. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, these are pretty obvious things. Try to keep everything the same, right? Well, when you're loading your own ammo, sometimes you're allowing things to be different that you don't even realize. Like uh, maybe you don't have your seating die, or you, sorry, your resizing die screwed down to touch your shell holder because maybe you're trying to make the brass fit the chamber a little better instead of completely resizing. Um, now, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you recommend for a bolt gun full-length resizing and trimming every time, or do you recommend a collet die that just redoes your neck and your shoulder? Well, yeah, you can use those, and you can also just get a neck resizing die as well. Um, no, with the bolt gun, that's what I use. Okay. Neck resizing until the shoulder gets too long. You can't chamber it anymore. Then you have to bump the shoulder back. So, uh, and does that require a full-length uh, resizing die, or will a collet die bump the shoulder back? No, you have to get a full-length resizing die. Okay. So, how do you know that it doesn't chamber? You just find out one day. Oh, this round won't go in. But, well, usually, or are you using a case gauge? It'll grow. No, I, I don't. Um, you can feel it start to become hard to chamber, and you know, on the next the next resizing, you're going to have to bump it back. Okay. So you kind of just take that one out and set it aside. Yeah. All right. So I've never shot enough of mine, cons- oh, you know, uh, consecutively to have noticed anything like that start to happen yet. It's in a 308. It takes a while because you're, you know, there. It's pretty easy on brass. I've got a 300 Remington Ultramag that uh, it 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 uh, stretches brass pretty good, and uh, I can get three or two or three firings out of a case before I have to bump the shoulder back. Um, and what we're talking about here is minimal amount of resizing so that the the cartridge case fits the chamber more exactly so if it's doing that it's it'll be centered with the bore and theoretically the bullet will enter the rifling straight and you have a better chance of of an accurate shot and following shots be the same if the if the case is resized all the way down to the shell holder every time uh some chambers it's going to be a little bit loose in there and can move around a little bit, but little bits count and might not be as accurate. So, you know, target shooters try to keep the brass really well fitted to the chamber. So that's when uh, the term I think I've heard is it's fire formed to the chamber. Yes. Okay. So, so you know, what I was saying earlier, one way to do that is to not have your sizing guy screwed all the way down to touch the shell holder. But yeah. the problem there is, okay, so you're going to you say, I'm going to size this brass uh, partially, and I try it in the gun. No, it still doesn't fit. I'll screw the die in a little bit more until it fits. Then I'll size all the brass that way. But the problem there is all the brass won't size the same because your press will flex. So a, a piece of brass that's slightly harder than the one before it won't get sized as much. It won't go as far into the die because the press will flex a little bit and take up some of that movement. So what you really need are shell holders that are graduated in uh, – 
thousandths of an inch. You can get them from Redding. So you find the right one that you can still bump the shell holder, but now you've taken all the flex out of the press because once that shell holder contacts the die, the press is out of the equation. Hmm. But you can still partially resize the, the case. That's a great way of uh, fitting your brass to your chamber without over not only making the brass too small, but you're also working it more than it needs to be, so it, it, it hardens quicker and it'll wear out quicker. Never heard of such thing. That's interesting. Yeah. That's one thing that I've, I read about online all the time, people talking about this partial full-length resizing, and they just don't realize that your press is flexing more than the amount of uh, calibration you're trying to get there with that die. It's just not going to work for you. Mm. Um, okay, one more question about uh, dies, and then I want to jump over into uh, uh, measuring your powder charges precisely. Um, but first, what about those uh, reloading dies that have a micrometer on top? What are they about, and do you really need them? Um, they're about being able to repeat your setting if you're changing. I think if I think if you're seating two or three different seating depths on the same caliber, maybe for different rifles in the same caliber, you can you can go back exactly to what you had before by reading the the vernier scale on there and without without taking a lot of time. Okay, you don't, so you, they're they're so no more accurate. They're no more accurate than a an RCBS die or a Reading die. Oh. They're simply ease of adjustment when yeah. changing seating depths. Saving your time. Okay, so let's oh. say I'm only reloading. Um, well, that's not true. I'm reloading two different 308s. I'm reloading a semi and a bolt gun. So one of these might actually benefit me because I no, can. It, it could certainly um, make it easier to you know repeat. A setting if you've changed it it also makes it easier to to change your seating depth by a known amount you know you can change it by a thousandth of an inch on the on the scale each time and you know how much you're changing it that's mm. that's but you know they're not super necessary and for the cost of one of them i think you could just buy a second seating die a regular style one if you're never going to change it after you get it figured out yeah like let's say i'm only reloading for a bolt action 30 odd six well yeah. i know what my overall length is that my rifle likes set it and forget it right yes Mm. But they are they are about the that die alone. I've seen cost more than a, a complete set of dies. Well, you know, they're probably there's probably more care taken in having everything concentric in them too, because of the nature of what they are. Okay. So you might end up making better ammo with them. But you know, I'll tell you a short little story here. I'm not trying to go on and on here, but that 300 Ultra Mag I was talking about, um, I was using. It's a Remington. It was a Remington Sendero. It's a 26 inch barrel, and I had a set of dies for it. And I had brass, and I was, you know, excited. I was going to develop a load for this thing, and it was going to be a tack driver. And I couldn't get that thing to shoot much below an inch. So, you know, you buy this this cartridge with all kinds of velocity, and the velocity is there to give you range. But if it if it can't if it can't shoot a tight group, you don't have the range. You can't hit anything at distance. So, I was kind of frustrated, and uh, I bought a RCBS case comparator, which is a, it's a jig with a dial indicator. You can measure your, the runout in your brass, how, how straight it is. And I discovered that my ammo I was producing had about eight or nine thousandths of runout, which is bad. It's like I've, got, I've, had, I've had a similar gauge for checking the trueness of my arrow shafts. Yeah, yeah you know? same idea. Yep. So, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, you know, I'm, I've got a good press i've got you know these dies what's wrong and 
it took me a while to figure figure out, but uh, the chamber in the rifle was not straight. So oh, the brass was the fired brass was coming out crooked. Interesting. So, so you, yeah, so you, and you were measuring your fire formed brass, thinking that was ideal. Yep. Not your resized brass. Wow. Yep. So I was using a collet die, a lead collet die, and I was yep. thinking this thing's a piece of junk, but it, it's not the die's fault. The brass, the, the chamber was crooked. Anyway, I've got a custom barrel on that gun now, and using the Lee collet die, I can get ammo that's less than 0 0.002 run out. And then I also have a Redding shoulder die to bump the shoulder back when, when it's necessary. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's the, that's one thing to do it, when you're getting into trying to get into the fussier stuff is, well, check your fired brass. Is it, is it straight? Because if your, rifle, if your rifle's chamber's crooked, you're, you're, you've lost before you've even begun. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't yep. matter what you put into it, huh? Nope. Interesting. And even with the crooked chamber, it was shooting what? Well, I was getting, I, I, I found a couple loads that were slightly better than MOA, maybe 0.8 or 0.9, but I was looking for way better than that. Way better than MOA. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it'll, you know, I mean, everyone says this, but yeah, it'll shoot under half a MOA hmm. uh, all the time now. It's I've got a really good load for that. Excellent. Okay, yep. so let's talk about um, measuring our powder. There's, uh, what can we do? to step that up to the next level. I mean, there are bench-mounted powder measures that you pour the gunpowder in, and you there's a little micrometer on the side. You adjust it. You stick the case under it. You swing the, the handle, and it dumps powder in the case. Yep. So you do you do that. You check a couple, and they're all within. I want 45.5. I get 45.2 all the way to 45.6. Am I good with that, or is there a way to improve on that, and should I? Well, yeah, if you're shooting at a at a deer-sized target at 100 yards, it's not going to matter a bit. Um, if you're trying to shoot long range or quite precisely. That's course, the name of this uh, game, yeah. Uh, We're trying of, course, to... of course, uniforming the powder charge is gonna can't hurt. Okay, so um, what about that RCBS electronic one where I, I just plug in, I want 45.5 grains, go, and it trickles out exactly 45.5. Have you worked with one of these? Electronic ones, do they actually work that way? Where if you want 45.5, it will trickle the powder into the pan until it gets 45.5 and stop? And are they really consistent? Or should you go with a high-quality digital scale and a trickler that you trickle by hand? Good question. Uh, I have the, the Charge Master. Uh, sometimes, That's what it's called, yeah. Yeah, Charge Master. Sometimes an extra grain or two falls out and you have to either pluck a few grains out with a pair of tweezers or are you talking dump. kernels of powder here yeah, or yeah, yeah. okay I, by grains i meant grains of powder not weight i should i should have said kernels um especially with the long stick powders uh, mm -hmm. sometimes uh, five or six kernels will fall out at a time and and go over the weight um but the, who cares you just dump it back in the hopper and let it feed another one um i love it it's so so much better than trickling and weighing on a scale, which is, you know, the other option if you want super u uniformity. A powder measure is going to give you so much. And certain powders will go through a measure with great precision, you know. Oh, and some same. won't. Right. And some will not. Man, benchmark, um, benchmark in my setup is almost bang on every time. But for some reason, it, I don't know if it hates Bargit, if my scale or my trickler hates Bargit, but I have a bugger of a time. So the way I'm doing it is I'm throwing... 45.3 or 45.4 into the pan. Uh, well, I have the pan on the scale. I throw it into a case. 
I dump it in the pan, and then I trickle the final couple of kernels of powder into the pan to bring it to exactly 45.5, and it constantly jumps from 45.4 to 45.6. It doesn't <laughs> want to settle in on 45.5. You need a charge master, dude. Yeah, yeah they're, they're sweet. They're th 350 bucks. Yeah, you find yeah, one in the ditch. They, they they keep up to the rest of your reloading. Like when when you're yes. reloading and you and you you prime, you uh, resize, you you get your your brass ready. It keeps up to the rest of it, so you can keep with the flow. Right? There's no otherwise when you're when you're putting powder on and you're trickling into a pan, you're spending time on that, and you're not able to do multiple operations. That charge master like ticks away in the background while you're doing the rest of the things, and then you get ready. And then by the time you're ready, the the charge is ready to roll, and you dump uh, the powder, you put the pan back, and you keep going. And oh, in yeah, fair, yeah in fairness, it depends on your routine. Like I always hand prime all my brass, mm -hmm. so when I start, my brass is done. There's nothing to do but wait on the powder. Yeah, I hand prime my brass too, but I still I didn't realize how much I hated trickling powder until I got that thing. Okay. And now so it's, it's like a, a it's like a vacation every time I reload now. Awesome. It's so even more relaxing. Brass prep's done. Yeah. Well, there's all <laughs> yeah. that other stuff. <laughs> and we didn't talk about some of the other little fussy stuff you can do, like uniforming the priming pockets, primer pockets, uh, deburring the flash hole. You can turn the necks. I might um, have to turn the necks on my two two threes. I don't know if we have time. How are we doing on time, Matthew? Uh, we just hit the 40-minute mark. Oh, oh, God. Okay, I'll save that question for another time then, but, uh, yeah, or I'll run it past the boys in another part later on. Yeah. Or by but another part I'll, later on. I'll just on say, if you have Lapua brass, you pretty much don't even have to do any of that stuff. Okay. So I'm, but so I'm I should, cool. But I should clean up my Winchester, though. Probably. Um, maybe. Your Winchester, what? My Winchester brass? Yeah, uh, maybe. Okay. Um, with a collet die, you might, you may not need to, to, uh, to uh, turn your necks. Mm. Um, turning the necks is kind of of limited uh, value if you don't have a tight neck chamber. Okay. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. Maybe we'll have to do a part two because um, uh, we talked a lot about target, which is kind of gone, and F-Class is kind of here. But, well, uh, I wouldn't say target's gone. It's just... Uh, well, it should not, be because it's not nearly deep as, sites. It's not nearly as sexy or <laughs> as uh, gear-oriented as F-Class. So Look, as, soon, as soon as you said peep sites, I heard SKS. So even I know... If, I know no, there, I know there's no peep sites on SKS, but I'm like... <laughs> you put okay. them on and then you shoot 1,200 yards. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, oh, awesome. Well, Andy, thank you for your time tonight. We appreciate you coming on to school us a little bit in precision shooting. And uh, yeah. I know there's so much more we could have got into. but Yeah, it was a little random there, but uh, I could, maybe next time I'll form my thoughts a little better. Well, it's not like I gave you a lot of opportunity, to be fair enough. <laughs> so, like, yeah. You like to keep us on our toes. Well, absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, so, guys, any, any final questions for Andy before we cut him loose? No, that was very informative. Thank you very much. Yeah, no thanks, Andy. Problem. No problem. And uh, Trevor, we'll see you at the Spring Bang, dude. Yeah, I'll be down uh, Thursday, and then I'll see you on Friday. Cool. Yeah, so awesome. Thanks again, man. All right. Have, have a good night, guys. You too. Nice talking to you. Once again. Thank you, Captain Andy Shan, for uh, <laughs> coming on and, and schooling us in some old-school rifle-type shooting and reloading. I think I think we need to have him back just to talk about reloading. 
He knows a lot about reloading. He does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It'd be nice to share some of that knowledge. Yeah, he does. Multiple handgun calibers, multiple rifle calibers. Um, yeah, his reloading room looks like an OR. It's quite well set up. I'll be seeing it firsthand in a couple of weeks, actually. Is George Clooney there? No, I don't think he is. Oh, wait, that was ER. Never mind. Yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. <Awful. laughs> yeah, exactly. Man. Shall we get into some listener feedback, gentlemen? Sure. Yes. All right. Uh, I'll grab the first one from uh, Kristen. He says, hey, boys, while sitting in my basement and dry firing my new FNS-9L, that is an FN, FNS 9mm long slide, by the way, kids, I realized that it's exactly what I was longing for in my other pistols. I have small hands. Insert joke here. Knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? Glock. Glock who? Glocks are awesome. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how that plays into a small hand joke, but uh, it, what? it just it, do, it just says here. insert joke. I just oh, it doesn't say insert uh, like a joke within context. No, no, no. It, had, oh. it did not say context anywhere. Okay. Well, Kristen, you you got to work on that. It's Christian, I think. Christian. Yeah, yeah, Kristen is a girl's name. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Christina, uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Perhaps your wife, perhaps your mother-in-law, gave your wife the same advice that my mother gave me and that was marry someone with small hands you figure out what the meaning is behind that um <laughs> so anyway he says i have small hands insert joke here i found even the super comfy mnp9 to be a bit cumbersome the fns has a very lean grip great access to the slide lock and mag release and it's very nice in the hand my wife's glock feels like a brick in comparison they all do um I've yet to put live rounds through it, but if it lives up to the hype, I'll be happy indeed. I did also purchase a forty, a version in forty, just for the mags. So he bought two. He bought one in nine and one in forty. God love him. Uh, I will provide. Uh, it will provide backup duty for the uh, aforementioned Glock 22, which is a duplicate of a service sidearm. I am very happy so far. Thanks for the recommendation. You're quite welcome. I was listening last week to the chatter about getting officers qualified on the C8 and thought I'd weigh in. My wife is a police constable and has recently been certified as one of three officers in her division to carry the carbine. In order for her to complete the certification, she put in, she was put on a four-day course that involved approximately 3,000 rounds of live fire, 240 hours of instruction time, 40 hours of her own time, and she was only one of 24 constables going through at that time. That's nearly 1,000 paid officer hours. I'll let you guess at how much money that is, but the point I'm making is that it costs these services hundreds of thousands of dollars to properly certify the officers to carry the carbine. If money was no object, the New Brunswick RCMP would all be certified already. It doesn't grow on trees. That's just my humble opinion. I think all officers should carry whatever they see fit as means to end a situation, but they don't make the rules. Guys in the white shirts do that stuff. The thin blue line follows orders. And before you have people grumbling about the cost of policing, just remember, if you don't like cops, next time you're in trouble, call a crackhead see how things go. I couldn't agree more. Uh, so long, suckers. <laughs> I like to sign off. <laughs> yeah, me too. No, and he's right. I mean, and think about this. Like, where's this money come from? For years. It grows on trees, doesn't it? Apparently, no, he said it doesn't. He oh, it doesn't. It says right that. there. Yeah. Carbon yeah. taxing. 
Car- carbon tax. Uh, <laughs> no, Perfect. Way, this wasn't part of their operating budget for years, and now it's a new reality. Now something else has to give because these officers, first of all, they have to purchase the rifles, they have to purchase the ammunition, and then they have to pay these officers to be on training while paying other officers to replace them on the street while they're on training. I mean, it's just, you can only do so much. Yep. And if we, uh, okay, yeah, I want everybody trained. No, I don't want to pay more taxes. What are you talking about? Eh, yeah. So, but that's cool. She she carries a Glock 22 and now is certified on a rifle. She She's a keeper, Christina. Keeper. <laughs> Keep no, Christine is not how you pronounce this man's name. Uh, uh, no, I'm pretty sure it is. You got it. Oh, I thought it was Kristen. Yeah, yeah it was. It was Christina. You got it. Uh, Kristen. <laughs> Christ, Christian. <laughs> Beasley. <It's> Beasley. <laughs> Wait, no, it's Bisley. Bisley. Darn it. Uh, Matthew, take Frank. Okay. Uh, from Frank, just started listening to you guys, and I understand one or more of you are here in New Brunswick, as am I. Can you tell me... We're sorry. Yes, we are. Can you tell me if a person is allowed to take a rifle out on his own land to do some target shooting? And is it okay to shoot apples off of the head of your stepson? Thank you and great show from Frank. Um, yes and yes. We will see you in the headlines. <laughs> <laughs> um. uh, no, uh, well, it depends. If yeah, you, it depends. Yeah. It, it depends. I'm sorry, but it, it it does depend. First of all, let's assume that the rifle you want to shoot is bigger. The caliber is larger than two three zero. So, uh, no, you can't. You have to shoot that at a range. If it's less than two three zero, so twenty two two fifty or two twenty three or twenty two, yes, you can shoot it on your own land. Um, however, you and whether or not he has a hunting license. Well, hold on. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. You you have to have a varmint hunting license to to shoot to he have could, a firearm. He could also shoot a thirty out six on his own land as long as he had a big game license during big game season. That's right. Don't right. don't go out in um, June or July with a thirty out six on your backyard in your backyard, four hundred meters from all yeah. the other houses around. Yeah, that's the other thing I was going to mention. You have to be uh, at least 400 meters from any other dwelling besides your own. You are allowed to shoot within 400 meters of your own dwelling, however. Um, but yeah, you have to have a license for whatever gun you have out with. Whatever gun you're out with, you have to have an appropriate hunting license with it. Uh, the, the law in, in New Brunswick is um, you're not allowed to be in possession of a firearm within a resort of wildlife, and a resort of wildlife is anywhere wildlife could frequent, and so that's basically all of New Brunswick. That's right, yeah. So, um, so yeah, basically yes and no, or no, and it, it, it's complicated, unfortunately. What you're running into is not federal laws, but provincial laws. Federally, of course, you're completely legal to take a non-restricted firearm and fire it wherever you like, but Where provincial hunting legal laws... legal to discharge, yeah. Yeah, provincial, provincial hunting laws are, are what's dictating this here. Um, as for shooting apples off of the head of your stepson, um, Tre- Trevor? As long as it's done with a crossbow and your name is William Tell and the year is 1642. I thought you were going to mention if he's, as long as he's a redhead. Hmm. <laughs> hey, somebody has a Charge Master for sale on the MB Reloader's Facebook page. Interesting. Four that doesn't quarter. answer Frank's question at all. Which one? The one about the apple? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Don't one do it. Charge Masters, the cost in New Brunswick. 425. Yeah. Well, that's what he wanted to know, right? How much a Charge Master cost in that's New Brunswick? That's what he wanted, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Thank, thanks for writing in, Frank. Yep. Don't shoot your son. So, so where where are you in New Brunswick? 
That'd be my Frank. Can you hear? Oh, he can't hear me. It was an email, no, right? No, it was an email. No. My bad. This is an officer, Frank. Oh, okay. Not that he could hear you either. Phone but lines open, so you can call in. Yeah, yeah. We'll open the phone lines, Frank. They're open now. If you go ahead and just call, yeah. we'll. Yeah. One eight hundred. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adriel. You want to take this next one from the whale? All right, I got did it. Did you guys Don't, see the photo it. he attached? Yes, it did. Awesome. Yeah. So a guy walks into a gun store and walks out broke but happy, otherwise known as Trevor, I think I may actually have beat you this time. (laughs) This past Friday, I found out that we would be getting a profit-sharing bonus from work, and like any red-blooded American, I wanted to spend it before it actually arrived in my checking account. (laughs) How's that for capitalism, Bernie? So I stopped by my local gun store where they were running a sale on a gun I've been eyeballing, the new Smith & Wesson Victory 22 pistol. Given all the reviews out there, I won't include pictures or a lot of detail, but so far I'm really impressed. It's reasonably accurate, closer to my Buckmark target model than my Ruger 22-45 Lite, field strips easily just by removing a single hex head screw, and allows you to swap barrels just by loosening another. Uh, Volkortsen already has barrels for it, including a killer carbon fiber threaded version at typical VQ prices, almost $300 US. Needless to say, I bought it. Oh, that'd be sweet. While I was there, I saw they had a deal on police trade-in car PM9 pistols for $450. These were typical police trade-ins with lots of external wear, but almost no real use. The PM series is the top of the line for car pistols and usually runs $700 and up. These also had night sights, although they were pretty faded, and either a flush or extended mag. Add in the fact that they were tossing in 500 rounds of Wolf Steelcase 9mm for free, and it was hard to say no. Good for you. Man, that's a, that's a, a killer deal, though. <laughs> so, I like this next part. Uh, so I didn't. I said yes and bought that too. How's that for more capitalism, Bernie? <laughs> oh, man. Then the skies parted, the angels sang, and the devil gnashed his teeth and wept. There, under the glass, was a unicorn. They were rumored to exist. For months there had been sightings in remote areas of Canada, which seems to be its natural habitat. But none had been confirmed on U.S. soil until now. There, under the glass, lay an FNS Longslide. So, yeah, I bought it, too. <laughs> yeah, I've been out, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm on another ATF list as a potential arms dealer. I think that completes the set. But I have filled out my family of FNS pistols. And not only that, I think I out-Trevored Trevor. Three guns at once, put my checkbook into catatonic shock, but it was worth it. <laughs> How's that for even more capitalism, Bernie? By the way, my new address is the large refrigerator box under the Interstate 75 overpass. It's the one with all the guns in it. (laughs) Nice. I don't think my collection even comes close to Spencer's. Man, (laughs) that's awesome. Walk in and walk out with three three, uh, handguns. Um, So he did send us a picture. He's got all three FNs. He's got the long slide. The compact, which is like Glock 19 size, and the subcompact, which is like Glock 26 size. So um, now the compact, the four inch, what we're calling up here in Canada, the four inch, uh, has a full length grip. So in America, it holds 17 rounds. So it's a couple extra rounds over the Glock 19. But the subcompact is full on 
like baby Glock size with the compact or the subcompact size grip and slide. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good for him. He's got all three. I ho- and I hope Spencer, you're carrying all three at once. Oh yeah, I would imagine he's big enough. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Have you ever seen a picture of this guy, Adriel, on my Facebook? Me standing no. next to him. No, he, I I'm I'm a solid six feet and two hundred and thirty pounds, and I look like a twelve year old next to him. <laughs> yeah, it like, crushed my skull like a grapefruit. It's awful. <laughs> I looked him right in the armpit. I did, <laughs> and I said, "Yes, sir." All right, Matthew from Manny. Hello, Slamfire. Just thought I would share some info that you guys were wondering about a while ago. I just purchased my first pistol, an FNH FNS 9. It's like a trend. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And being that I have never owned a restricted, the process was informative. After getting my transfer notification and picking up the gun, I was waiting on my registration certificate to come as well. I got a letter from the RCMP, and inside was a new PAL with conditions. I thought it would have been my registration certificate, but I was kind of confused by by the interesting surprise. Anyway, I believe you guys were wondering what happened with that a while back, so there you go. If you never had an ATT issued to you, you get a new PAL with conditions. I wanted to get some 40 Smith & Wesson mags for the FN, but come on, they're expensive. I can't afford them. Maybe I'll ask my boss for a raise. I wonder how how well that will go. Maybe he'll say yes. I doubt it. I know his boss. I doubt it, too. <laughs> I'll probably just pick up a twenty-two pistol instead because I won't be able to afford to keep feeding the FN. I could buy four mags for the price of a twenty-two pistol, so I think I might go with the twenty-two. I heard you can make some money selling your own kidneys. Desperate times. Anyway, I need to get back to studying. The money I spent on tuition shouldn't be totally wasted. Manny from Winnipeg. P.S. Whatever happened to that Regina course? Well, you're the only one that was interested, Manny, so... That's where that went. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think because you and I looked at our schedule and didn't think we could make it, we didn't push it either. Yeah. But maybe next year, Manny, we'll do uh, St. Paul this year, and maybe we'll be in Regina next year. Maybe. Um, so, interesting, if you've never had an ATT, they send you a new license. If you had an ATT, you keep your license, and they just they don't just send you They just electronically attach the conditions. Yeah. Because that's so, what happened to me. The FN mags, um, it's like... I know Glock mags can be had for 45, 50 bucks, even though the Glocks have gone up to upwards of $899, which is just ridiculous. Um, the FN mags are running 75 before tax, gentlemen. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, yes, that's yeah. correct. $75. Yeah. And if I want mags for my HK uh, SFP9, they're 90 bucks. Wow. Yeah. CZ 75 mags are 70 bucks. Only $5 less. And what's more prolific than a CZ-75? Maybe a Glock? Yeah. But, I mean, it's one of the most carried guns in the world, the CZ-75. And, uh, yeah, makes are $70 for that. That's so, crazy. Yeah, everything's expensive right now. Yeah. But, well, I the mean... the Magpul mags for Glock are pretty reasonable. Yeah. Well, see, here's my question, though. What's a 9mm mag go for for an FN? Mm. I believe they're... Probably around the same price as the 40 mags. I don't think the, the 40 mags have gone through the roof because of this uh, revelation that we've stumbled upon. No. That being said, you know, if I buy a P30 mag, which is the mag that goes in the HK SFP9, that's 90 to $99 a mag. I haven't bought any because that just makes me want to vomit. I love the gun, great ergonomics and all of that, but it's not coming to Alberta with me because I'm not going to spend $100 
a mag so I can get enough mags to go teach a course. I don't know what I'm going to do with this gun. I love it, but $100 a mag is going to be a while before I justify that. Yeah, so $75 a mag, but remember what you're getting with that 75 bucks. You're getting actual capacity. So I think it's worth it. <laughs> but anyway, or do what uh, Kristen did, and that's buy both guns and then... Don't ever shoot the forty, but use the forty mags in the nine. Hey. <laughs> uh, both both nine mil and forty are seventy five dollars. So there you're you right, go. Trevor. It's not it's not price gouging. It's just simply that's how much they cost. So um, buy sure. the buy the forty and then sell sell it brand new in box, but only with minus the mag. minus the mag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, single yeah. shot. It's a single <laughs> shot. I mean, the gun's affordable. Yeah. Right. The gun, the gun, but so there's a disproportion there between or, or disconnect or whatever big fancy word I'm trying to use it's okay. between the cost of the gun and the cost of the mags. The gun, I mean, my, mine was 650. I've seen them go as little as 615. Then my four inch was 685. Well, they make all their profit on the mags instead. Apparently, <laughs> sell so, the gun for cheap. Yeah. Anyhow. If anyone else would like to um, email us, you could do so by sending an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Do we have any iTunes reviews? No, but I did check the Australian one, and we had an old one there, so I thought really? I'd throw it in there. Yep, please. That's cool. Go I've, ahead never, and, I've never checked the Australian one before. Well, the New Shooter Canada has been... They, they, and Matthew, I think you know how to do this. I've never done it, but New Shooter Canada can figure out where their downloads are coming from, so they know they have people in Germany listening. Yeah, we can do, yeah, that we can do that too. Yeah. So, um, here's the thing, Adriel. You gotta, you gotta read this review with an Australian accent. I'll do that next week when I actually grab it and copy it. Oh, you didn't actually oh, copy didn't. it. <laughs> no, That's a lot of buildup, Adriel. Lame. A lot of buildup. Yeah. That's Go it. Ahead. You're getting a pay reduction. I think they got one. They got, the New Street Canada also got an Aussie uh, uh, feedback, so maybe it's the same person. Maybe. Do you guys want to hear all the countries that download the show? Yes. Yeah. Canada, and while you do that, US, I'll look Australia, up. Australia, Japan, China, Netherlands, United Kingdom, Jamaica, South Korea, Lithuania. Second, I got three more here. New Zealand and Singapore. That's in the last 30 days. That's cool. Why? <laughs> I don't know. So how do you say story in all those languages? I don't know if you do. China, that's cool. And Japan? Yep. Awesome. Hmm. Cool. Shout-outs, gentlemen? Nope. Yeah, um, I wanted to give a shout-out to my buddy Sean for helping me put up. I, I got some acoustic panels put together so I can take my microphone out of the, the, the box it's in and uh, take it out and talk and not have it real echoey in here. So I wanted to just – he didn't have to help me, and he totally like pitched in and helped me make these weird acoustic panels and put them everywhere. And he snagged a whole bunch of bullets and primers that we used to make a whole bunch more 9mm uh, bullets. Awesome. Uh, I've got one to the boys over at the RM Squirrels Project. They had me on to do an archery episode because you guys either won't let me talk about archery or completely tune out when I do. So it was awesome. Like two hours of just archery talk. Wow, that is an old... Uh, I, sorry, I was, wasn't listening. You're talking about archery. <laughs> I looked up the... Uh, I looked up the uh, Australian review. I got it here if you want me to read it. Yes, please do. An Australian accent, though. Do I have it with an Australian? All right. This is from uh, Butler0001. Yeah, I, my Australian accent's not coming out tonight. Let's Come see. Here's some bark. There were a couple of Steve lines at us. Yeah, I, I got a so. good eye, mate. Yeah. Oh, Matthew, All right. This, uh, yeah. Is that an Uzi? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Now you're set. Go. Yeah. Very, very witty. 
and entertaining show. Matt interrupts constantly. Owen is mainly mute, and Trevor speaks his own language. It's definitely not English. It's Australian. A great way to spend a couple of hours feeling as if you're hanging with your friends, shooting the breeze. Trevor, more archery talk. Dang it! <laughs> That's funny because our original name of this podcast was Shooting the Breeze. Yep. And he says Trevor Moore Archery Talk. That's dang it. Butler! <sighs> yes. <sighs> Butler, I want you to... that March 16th, 2015. That was a year ago. <laughs> wow. I hope you're still listening, Butler. Sorry, Butler. That, that's that's five extra... Small. We can add five extra stars to our count now because yes. we've never counted these stars before. So that's five stars from Butler. These are Aussie stars. Aussie stars. They're worth the same as Canadian stars. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is Stacy's fault. Yeah, because she didn't check it and let us right. know. Yeah. yeah. And I'm very, very... Australian listeners, I'm very sorry for that accent. That was terrible. It wasn't your best, but it wasn't your worst. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to hang out with Steve for a couple hours before it comes back. There you go. Speaking of Stacy, I got another. <laughs> Carry on. Wasn't that funny? <laughs> no, because uh, I said Steve and you said speaking of Stacy. Because well, I said it was Stacy's fault about the. Anyway. It's, it's uh, funnier my way. Yeah, well, no, I don't think it was this time. Mm. Um, yeah, no, to Stacy and everybody that is at the International Appleseed, um, you all suck, and I hate you. Right. You got, uh, I hate missing these events. I do. We have so That few. was in Michigan, right? Yeah, I know. That's a like, long ways to go. I know, but Did somebody come. add those stars already? We're on the stars again? I'm trying to, no. I'm trying to, I'm trying to shout out everybody at the Appleseed. Yeah, I just, I, I saw it there. So. Carry on. <laughs> all right. Yeah, well, I wish I was there with you guys, not with these two clowns. <laughs> All right, I'm signing us off. Right. All right, join some gun orgs. Go like GOC, say hi to Christopher Anderson, because he's like the only one over there. Like us on Facebook, because we're like 1392, which is like a year where something significant happened, but I don't know, because history's dumb. And uh, go Aussies. Go Aussies. Why did we say go Aussies? Because we got an Aussie. We got a review. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, that, that was it? Just that, that one little? Cool. Yes. All right. We have Australian listeners, so I thought I would acknowledge them. All right, cool. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun. That sounds like uh, I'm here. Sounds like good, what? Good, good for you. That sounds like a CZ shadow. That's exactly what it is. Huh, I thought it was. We know your tr- your dry trigger pulls there. He does. Yeah. Sorry, Andy. I was I was doing I was, was science. You understand science. Yeah. I understand science. And and how are you tonight? Not bad. How are you? I am well. I used to have a CZ shadow. I'm sorry. I used to have a. CZ no, no, no. Shadow. I heard you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>